Oftentimes, we carry baggage from one season of life into the next. What we are talking about here is letting go of those bags, trading those bags in for the peace of Christ in our life. And so last week we talked about the the baggage of bitterness. Tonight we're going to talk about the baggage of pride. The author of our text tonight is the Apostle Peter, a Jesus follower. Peter was one of the original 12 disciples. And if there were any of the disciples who knew something about pride... Wouldn't you say that Peter might be that guy? So here we are, we're, we're talking to, we are reading from a guy who knows what he's talking about when he talks about dealing with the baggage of pride. The good news is this, Peter overcame that. That's the good news. When you, when you look at Peter, when you go from the Gospels into the book of Acts, Peter is a drastically changed man somewhere between the arrest of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, and I think it had a lot to do with the humbling of Peter, you know, what happened um, at the arrest of Jesus, his, his going out and denying Christ three times, and then Jesus still loving him and taking him back. I think that that had a lot to do, of course, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Peter was a changed man. Somewhere along that line, Peter put down the baggage of pride. This is, this is what he wrote years later, verse number five. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Church, let these words sink in. God resists the proud. Say that with me. God resists the proud. Let's say it one more time. God resists the proud. And that means that if we don't want to be at odds with God, we must deal with pride in our lives. So let's talk about it tonight. The first thing we're going to look at is the defilement of pride. And the truth here is that simply pride is the oldest and commonest sin of all. The oldest and the commonest of all sin. Before we get into what the sin of pride is, I think that it's important for us to understand what the sin of pride is not. Is not. Did you know that the Bible does not always express pride as a negative quality? Did you know that? Did you know that pride sometimes can carry a positive connotation? Did you know that? The Apostle Paul expressed this sort of pride when he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, The church at Corinth had some problems, and yet Paul wrote this to them. He said, I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overflowing with joy. Church, tonight I want to remind us of something. It is okay to encourage one another. Amen? Amen? It's okay to pat somebody on the back and say, brother, I'm proud of you. It's okay, moms and dads, to tell your kids, kids, hey, son, I'm proud of you. The man that you're becoming, I'm proud of you. Kids need words of encouragement from moms and dads, don't they? It's okay. Men, we're told to, uh, we're commanded to honor our wives. It's okay to say to your wife, honey, I'm proud of you. 
you in the sense that I'm giving you honor. Wives, it is okay to tell your husband that you're proud of him and to pat him on the back. We are all in need of encouragement. So the pride that the Bible is condemning is not talking about encouraging someone, being proud of someone. It's not talking about receiving honor. If an athlete goes out and wins a a contest and receives a medal with a sense of uh, gratefulness and a sense of achievement, it's not necessarily pride, okay? It's okay to give honor to whom honor is due. That's another thing that Paul says. Give honor to whom honor is due. That is all okay. That is all right and good. Rather than belittling people and diminishing what they've accomplished or harping on their shortcomings as if it's our job to keep someone humble. Have you, ever, have you ever met someone like that? They felt like it was their ministry to keep you humble. Anybody ever know someone like that? Anybody have that special ministry to keep the people in your life? Life. Don't, don't raise your hand there. Keep the people in your life uh, humble. Listen, just follow what Paul says and be an encourager. Take it from him. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Right? There it is right there. We don't have to make it our job to keep one another humble. Having a healthy self-image is not the kind of pride that the Bible condemns. We just did a sermon series recently on our identity in Jesus Christ. And when we understand who we are in Jesus Christ, it ought to give us a healthy image of who we are in him. That we are a child of God. There's a scripture here. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people of his possession. We are God's people. And that ought to give us the right kind of image of who we are, the right kind of an identity. So knowing and accepting who we are in Christ gives us this healthy self-image, not the kind of pride that the Bible condemns. So then, what is this pride that is condemned in Scripture? Well, here's what pride is. Pride becomes sinful when it is excessively self-focused and self-elevating. When we excessively focus on ourselves... When we excessively elevate ourselves, exaggerate attention to ourselves, inflate our view of ourselves, have an excessive preoccupation with ourselves, that is what the Bible condemns as pride. When we're preoccupied, when we elevate our own abilities, our own genius, our own importance, our own achievements, our own status, our own possessions, the biblical sin of pride is self-centeredness, big-headedness, self-admiration. That's what it is. It's the opposite of the virtue of humility, which is the appropriate posture that we are to have with God. So why is pride sin? Well, pride is simply sin because it presumes to possess the excellence and glory that only belongs to God. That's why pride is sin. That's what Satan was after. Do you know the story? You can read about it in Ezekiel chapter 28. Before uh, Lucifer was tossed out of heaven, the Bible tells us that he was full of wisdom and beauty. Satan was the greatest of all the the creatures that God had created up to that time. He had never made any 
creature more exquisitely beautiful, more wise, or more powerful than Lucifer. In fact, Lucifer means light bearer. And the book of Ezekiel tells us that that he was perfect in all of his ways until iniquity was found in him. And you know what that iniquity was? It was pride, and we know that from Scripture. 1 Timothy uh, tells us, and I think this is where it makes it clear, Paul says to Timothy, he says, hey, when you're, when you're choosing an elder, don't, don't select a novice. Don't select a new convert. Don't select someone who is not mature in their faith. And he says, for this reason, because he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. It was pride that corrupted the most glorious creature God ever created. Think about that. It was pride that led to his downfall. Had there been no pride, there would have been no devil. Think about that for a moment. You see, at its roots, pride says, I don't want God to be God. Pride says what? What he said. I want to be God. That is exactly what Satan wanted. He wanted to take God's place. And so pride dethrones God from our heart. Pride replaces God with self. God told Ezekiel to go and to tell the prince of, of Tyre. This is Ezekiel 28. And there's links to this with the, with the account of Satan where he says, your heart is proud, and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods, in the heart of the sea, yet you are a man and not a God, though you have regarded your heart as that of a God. Do you see it? Pride dethrones God. Anything that puts ourself on the throne of our heart is definitely an issue. Why? Because God tells us, that the greatest command of all is to love him with all of our heart. And the second greatest commandment of all is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Do you know what pride does, church? Pride derails loving God with all of our heart. Pride derails loving others, our neighbor, as ourself while we fall headlong in love with who? Me with self. It seems pretty simple to identify, but probably the greatest danger of pride is that we're often completely unaware of our own pridefulness. It's so deceptive. On the one hand, times we feel it, we know it's there, but oftentimes it's completely off our radar. So let me help us just recognize it tonight. Let's break pride down into four types of pride. The first type of pride is what we could call race pride. Race pride. What is that? Well, that's just simply pride in our tribe. Pride in our ancestors. And you have to remember that the Jews, they were a very proud people. Very proud. They were sons of Abraham. I mean, in their mind, as long as they were, you know, a Jew, they, God's favor, they belonged to them. They were like, 
they were like this with God. They could be, they could be proud. They could be uh, away from God. They could worship idols. I mean, they could go and do all sorts of things, but they always expected that because they were a child of Abraham, somehow God was supposed to show favor to them. And the truth is, church, we have to be careful about race pride. And I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, the, the color of our skin or our people group, but I, but I, we, I may be. I mean, maybe that, that, maybe that should be part of the conversation. It ought to be part of the conversation. Are we somehow better than someone else because of the color of our skin? Whatever color of skin you, you see when you look in the mirror, should you feel better about yourself because that's the color of your skin? Of course not. But there's race pride, pride in our tribe. There's also face pride. What do you think that is? That's just simply pride in our outward appearance and who we appear to be. Now listen, I don't think that we're supposed to despise our appearance. God created us as we are. There's no reason to to loathe how we look. Uh, There's no reason for us to appear unkept, you know. Like, well, I'm not going to take any pride in my appearance, so I'm not going to brush my teeth or ever take a shower, that could be a problem, right? This is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about when our appearance, how we appear outwardly, begins to consume us, where we begin to elevate ourselves, where we begin to feel like we're better than others. Somehow we, we have something more than other people have simply based upon the outside, So there's race pride, there's face pride, and there's also place pride. And that's simply our position in society. Maybe we live in a fine house. Maybe we live in a in a community that that is is nicer than most. We live in a a certain part of town that that is uh, the nicer part of town. Maybe we live in a zip code that that is the, the nicer zip code in the area. Maybe we have some special talent, which we all do, some sort of notoriety. Maybe we have nice expensive things or drive a nice car or belong to a special club. All of these things fit into this place pride where we feel like because of our place in society, because of what we have, because of who we are, somehow we are better than someone else. And we take some sort of flattery in those things. But do any of these things actually render us better than other people? Does it? (laughs) It really doesn't, does it? You can live in a mansion and have all the nicest stuff and be a very, very extremely wealthy, wealthy person who can jet set wherever you want and just be one of the most corrupt people on the planet, right? Things don't somehow make us better. Where did we get all the things that we have? We get it from God. We receive them it all from him? Why should we then be haughty about it? Why should we be haughty about our looks when, you know, it's not anything we did about it. It was, it was how God made us. It's, it's how the genetics worked out. We shouldn't take pride in these things. The fourth type of pride is one that we, we rarely ever consider, and that is grace pride. What in the world is grace pride? Well, grace pride is just simply spiritual pride. It's the sense that somehow 
we're better because of something we do spiritually, some practice. I read my Bible every day. I go to church every weekend. When I moved here, this is a true story, when we moved here to plant this church, we were going to plant the only good church in all of Peoria because we're going to wear suits and we're going to sing from a hymnal and we're going to have a certain version, a translation of a Bible in our hands. We're we're, we're better than everybody else because of those things. Is it wrong to wear a suit to church? Thank God we're not, though, right, when it's 113 out there. Is it, is it wrong to sing from a book? No, of course not. But you know what I came to realize? That I had a lot of spiritual pride over things that didn't really matter, especially to God. Grace pride. Do we congratulate ourselves because of how we feel, the emotion that we feel in our worship. Is it wrong to feel emotion in our worship? No, not at all. I think, I think there's something to that. I think that, that when, when we're uh, worshiping God, oftentimes our emotions are moved. But should we somehow feel like, well, I'm more spiritual because I had this moving experience, but nobody else in the room did. You, you see where I'm going with that? Do you see how deceptive it can be where we can start thinking about even spiritual things and it becoming a source of pride in our life. You see, when we think about pride, it is simply this. Pride is, it's all about me. Well, pride, let me give you a couple more thoughts about it. Pride is, first of all, a secret sin. It's a secret sin. Now, most people around us see it. Usually, the person who's not let in on the secret is me, usually. It's us. And here's this silly little cartoon, right? The, the speck in the log. <laughs> you know? This is, I mean, when Jesus gave this little, this little illustration, I mean, it just hits home, doesn't it? This is how it works with us. This is pride at its worst. I mean, we can pick out the smallest little resemblance of pride in someone else and can't see this huge beam in our own eye. For some reason, it's just easier to spot everybody else's pride than our own. That's why we might call it a secret sin, but it's also a subtle sin. A subtle sin. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a minute and look in the mirror, all right? So rather than using the word of God tonight as binoculars to look at everybody else and say, you know what, he's got pride over there, you <laughs> Oh, he's got pride over it. Rather than using the text as binoculars, here's what I'm hoping we'll do. And this is the way we always ought to come to any passage of Scripture. Rather than using it as binoculars, we ought to use it as a what? A mirror. A mirror. Right? And so let's just let, let's hold up a mirror tonight. And I want to give you a little self-test. This is for all of us, me included. It's for all of us. And we're going to look into the mirror, and let's just use this little ex exercise not to see the speck in our neighbor's eye, but for some self-examination, all right? So some things are listed here. I don't know that I'm going to go through all of these, but I'm just going to probe, 
Just a little self-test here. You think, how does this hit home? The first, first thing we think about when we think about how subtle this sin is, these indications that pride has crept in our life, first is fault-finding. Fault-finding. Uh, do you compare yourself with other people? Judging yourself more favorably, right? I mean, you, you compare yourself, you judge yourself, and in your mind, you come out on top for what, whatever, whatever it is you're judging. Do you bring other people down in order to lift yourself up? That's pride. That's pride. Defensiveness. Does it irritate you when somebody corrects your faults? Is it hard to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me? Why is it so hard to admit when we're wrong? I'll tell you why. Pride. Pride. It suggests that I think too highly of myself. Refusing to listen is another indication. Do you find it difficult to seek counsel? Do you find it difficult to ask advice of a brother in Christ? A godly parent, do you find that difficult? That's pride. Self-absorption. Do you find yourself thinking, what about my needs? Why doesn't anybody listen to me? They don't care about me. I'll prove them all wrong. Do you think you deserve more of this world's goods than other people? Do you spend more time thinking about yourself than others? All of these things indicate self-absorption. Impatience is another indicator. Does it bother you when you have to wait? Does it bother you when you're anonymous? Does it bother you when you have to be led by someone else? All of those hint at an overdeveloped sense of importance. Taking credit. Do you find yourself taking credit and accepting praise for things which you have no control over, like things we talked about, your looks or your intelligence, your abilities? Those are things that God has given you. Do, you. do you take that credit or do you pass the praise along to God? Boasting is another indication. Do you try to make sure that people are aware of your personal gifts or your possessions? Do you make yourself the center of most conversations? Anytime we find ourselves boasting, it's evidence that we're pleased with this high opinion that we hold of ourselves. Aloofness is another indication. Aloofness is just simply refusing to associate with certain people. Refusing to get to know certain people. People you don't think measure up to your standards. Or they're not likable. Or they're not relatable. That's pride. Excessive competitiveness. Are you willing to pursue your goals even if it means others are hurt in the process? Do you always have to be better than other people? Do you always have to win? When you don't win, do you get angry? If you measure success by victory over other people, that's pride. Another indication is divisiveness. Do you know that there has never been a war? There has never been an argument? There has never been a scuffle? There's never been a disagreement that turned into an argument that somehow was not rooted in pride. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that only by pride comes, 
contention. And we might say, well, you know, we had genuine problems that weren't caused by pride. But the reality is that pride is what keeps us from solving those problems. And so divisiveness, that's a symptom. That's a, that's a, that shows us that we're dealing with pride. Uh, here's another one, prayerlessness. Do you pray over your needs? Do you ask God for wisdom? When you have a decision to make, do you pray and ask God to, to direct you and to, to give you wisdom? When you're charting a new course, when you're dealing with problems, a sporadic prayer life suggests that we're re, we're, we aren't really relying on God. It means that we're not really aware of our need for him. And so refusing to trust God to provide what we need or want what he wants for us or insistence on us getting our own way, all of that is an act of pride. Frustration is another indication. Do you get frustrated with life? Do you get frustrated with God? Do you get tired of waiting on God? Do you get tired of God's plan? Do you get frustrated with God's plan? Do you get impatient with his will? That's all indicating that we are trying to take control from God, that we want control ourselves. It's all pride. Here's another one. Two more. Persistent weariness. Persistent weariness. Are you exhausted week after week, month after month? Do you never, ever, ever have time to get adequate rest? Did you know that persistent weariness is the result of trying to do more than God actually intends? God created our bodies to need rest. He told us to, to work for six days and to take a, a, a day, a, a seventh day, a sixth day for rest. And when we don't do that, we're not letting God order our lives. Again, we're trying to control our life outside the parameters that God has set up for us. It's an indication of pride. Have we ever seen it that way? Finally, ungratefulness. Do you have an ungrateful spirit not accepting graciously what God has given you? Or do you grumble for what God has not given to you as though something is owed to you? Again, that is pride. You see, church, pride is a secret sin. Pride is a subtle sin. Did any of those touch a chord with you? Well, here's what we need to know about pride, and that is, is that pride is a starting point sin. Proverbs 6.16, the Bible tells us this. It says that the Lord hates six things. Seven are abomination, detestable to him. You know what number one on the list is? It's pride. It's an er they're arrogant eyes. Why? Because all the other six sins come out of the first one. Pride leads the parade. And this is what pride does in our life. And this is why you go all the way back to Ezekiel 28 where you see Satan falling and all the sin that has become of that. You see the very first sin in the, in the Garden of Eden. All of this can be traced back to pride. And that is why, church, pride has been called the cancer of the soul. It's been called the beginning of all sin. 
Every rape, every murder, every bit of pillage, every bit of dishonesty, every bit of cruelty and perversion, all suffering, all sorrow, all sin, you can say this about it. Pride did that. Pride did that. Truth is, we all know that we deal with pride. We all know what pride is. We feel it in ourselves. We're quick to observe it in others. And one thing is clear, that pride puts us at odds with God. This is point number two, and that is the destruction of pride. And here's the truth. Pride always ends in disaster. Proverbs says that pride goes before a fall. Church, we can mark it down. You can take it to the bank. God always, God always punishes pride. Ten out of ten times, God judges pride. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Think about that. We're detestable to God. How easily pride gets into our heart, into our life. And God says that when there's pride in our heart, we are detestable to him. And it says this, be assured, he will not go unpunished. Those are, those are strong words, church. I was thinking this week about the illustration of this truth in the life of uh, Haman. You remember Haman in, in Esther, the book of Esther? Remember how the king honored him and promoted him and, and all the, the king's court bowed down to him. I mean, Haman, man, he really got full of himself. He loved the attention. He, he loved the notoriety. He loved the fact that people were giving him all this respect and bowing down to him. There was just one guy that refused to bow down to Haman. You know his name? Mordecai. Yeah, Mordecai. Esther's uncle, right? And I mean, this guy, would, he refused. He was a God-fearing man. He would not bow down to Mordecai. Well, that really ticked Haman off. Haman found out that, that Mordecai was a Jew, and so he devised this plan to wipe out all, all of the Jews, all of them in the kingdom, simply because Haman would not bow down. Him. Do you see how pride leads the parade of Haman's destruction? Well, Haman was so filled with rage, he sets in motion this plan. But in a freak reversal of circumstances, the king wants to honor Mordecai, and he chooses Haman to do it. And so he, he tells Haman this little story, and he thinks, Haman thinks he's talking about him. He's so filled with pride. He must be wanting to honor me, but he wanted to honor Mordecai. So Haman ends up having to, you know, put, put hey, uh, Mordecai on the king's horse and the king's robe and parade him through town. And Haman was just absolutely humiliated absolutely filled with rage and so he came up with his plan to build these gallows and and he was gonna he was gonna have Mordecai hung well Esther found out about the plot of killing all her people and they go to the king and as it turns out Haman ends up being hung 
on his own gallow that he had built for Mordecai, and you can trace it all back to one thing, pride. Proverbs 29, 23, a person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain him honor. Haman is in the first part of that verse. Mordecai and Esther are in the second part of that verse. A person's pride, Haman, will humble him, but a humble spirit, Mordecai, Esther, will gain honor. God's word is true. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 11, when arrogance comes, disgrace follows. I was reading this week in the book of of Zephaniah, and and, uh, uh, I came across this passage that that just so paralleled with the message tonight, I thought I had pointed out to you. In fact, I think the words are, are here on the screen. I was going to turn there, but I believe I have them on the next slide there. Um, Zephaniah, God has Zephaniah prophesy about the coming destruction at God's hand against these nations who had acted arrogantly against God's people. This is what it says. I, hopefully you can read the words there. He says, uh, this is what they, uh, the, the Moabites and the Ammonites in the, in the context, get for their pride. Because they have taunted and acted arrogantly against the people of the Lord. The, peop- uh, the Lord will be terrifying to them. He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. And Assyria at this time was the superpower. He will make Nineveh a desolate ruin. This is the jubilant city that lives in security, that thinks to herself, I exist and there is no one else. That's pride, isn't it? all about me what a desolation she will become everyone who passes by her will scoff and shake his fist those prophecies came true those peoples were wiped out you could trace back their destruction simply to pride church pride will produce domestic devastation our homes become battlegrounds for Well, because of pride. Pride produces financial devastation. You know how many people are in financial bondage simply because they're buying things they don't need with money that they don't have to impress people they don't even like? It's all about pride. Pride produces emotional devastation. It ruins us because it makes us a slave to the opinions of other people. We're constantly concerned about what other people think of us. And pride produces spiritual devastation. D.L. Moody says, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Church, realize, do you, we, we, need to, we need to listen to this and hear this. We become sitting ducks for the devil when there is pride in our heart. Nobody knew that better than Peter himself. When Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, spoke to his disciples and he said that he was going to go to be crucified and, and he was going to be taken by the hands of, of men. I mean, Peter said, not, not over my dead body. And Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me tonight three times. Oh no, Lord, I'll, I'll die for you. And the rest is history. 
You see, pride makes us a sitting duck for the devil. That's why God will do anything to break pride in us. And this brings us to number three, and this is simply the deliverance from pride. The deliverance from from pride. Here's the truth. Do something about pride before God does something about our pride. Pride. So I want to give you now in closing these, a four-step process to overcoming pride. Listen, we all need this. We all, we all need this because this is a reality in our lives that we continually battle, right? So, so step number one is this. Write this down. Number one, realign your view with God. It has to start here. We have to realign our view of God. Why? Because when our view of God becomes distorted, we don't give him the reverence. We don't give him the respect. We don't give him the awe that is due to him. And what happens is, in our, in our arrogance, we begin to develop this sense that we're God, that we can do what we want. We get, this, we get this inflated sense of ourself, and, and we get this sense that we're not going to really suffer the consequences of pride. And so, church, we have to stop and realign continually our view of God. So here's some truths about God that can help us with our pride problem. First one is, is that God is infinitely superior to us. Remember that. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Job said that in comparison to God, he said people are maggots. We mortals are mere worms. We need to remind ourselves of that. Peter says in our text, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under what? The mighty hand of God. We have to continually go back to reflecting on who God is, seeing God high and holy and lifted up and recognizing who he is and who we are. We need to recognize that God is absolutely perfect. God is absolutely holy and we're not. We have to remember that God has supreme authority over us. Isaiah says he's the, God is the potter. We're just the clay. Who are we to say to our creator, uh, he, he didn't make me. Does a jar ever say to the potter, you're stupid? That's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 29. Does, does, the, does the jar say to the potter, you're stupid. You made me, you're stupid. No, of course not. Of course not. We have to remind ourselves who we are in relationship to God. Anytime we find ourselves looking down on others, it's simply evidence that we have not looked up to see that God, who God is, and where God sits high above on the throne and our lowly place beneath him. So look, if we tend to think of ourselves too highly, We need to focus more on the greatness of God. I would encourage you to do a a Bible study on the nature of God. (coughs) Focus on his majesty. Focus on his power. Do a Bible study on that. Go through the Bible and just focus on who God is. 
and ask God to reveal himself more clearly to you. How can we extinguish pride in our life? Well, first by knowing him. Because if we know him, all pride is banished. That's step one. Step two is this. We need to revise our wrong thinking. We need to revise our wrong thinking. Peter says, uh, if you look at the, 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 cha- the previous chapter in verse number eight, he, he talks, he's talking to the, the believers and he says, look, you need to, above everything, maintain constant love for one another. God wants us as his people to be examples of his love to other people. But pride is the greatest obstacle to that. Pride is the greatest obstacle to loving others. And so what do we do? We need to reflect on our own attitudes while considering, do I think that I'm better than other people? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He said, what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it's not a gift, right? Why do we think we're better than other people when everything we have is from God? Everything we have has been received by him. Do we think that we're indispensable? Paul wrote to the church Uh, To the Roman believers, he said, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. We're not indispensable. God has blessed us and God has put a calling on our life, but listen, we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Ought. Such beliefs are self-centered, self-appreciating, and degrading to other people. And so what do we do? We allow the scriptures to inform our views of ourself. We allow the word of God to inform our view of other people. We allow God's word to inform us of, of life in, in general so that we are not proud in a sinful way. We recognize our place in this world, and among those around us. So we're to realign realign our view of God. Step one. Step two, we have to fix some wrong thinking, revise our wrong thinking, how we think about others, how we view ourselves. Let the word of God help correct those thoughts. And then third, we're to repent humbly. And this is what Peter writes to us. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Humble yourselves. Remember the parable that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 18? Remember these two guys? They, they're praying, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Couldn't be more different The Pharisee was very pious, very religious, took stock in his ability to keep the law, all his religiosity about him, all the things he did for God. The tax collector, on the other hand, in his own eyes, he didn't have a leg to stand on. He was a cheat. He knew it. He was an extortioner. He knew it. He knew the kind of a man that he was. Well, they both approach the Lord in prayer, but the Pharisee, what does he do? 
Man, he boasts. He stands up and he, he gives this orator of a, oratory kind of a prayer, you know, exclaiming his own goodness, exclaiming his own self-sufficiency. But the tax collector, what does he do? Do you remember? Man, he beats his chest and he just, he bows humbly. He recognizes he's disappointed himself. He's disappointed God. He's disappointed other people. And, and, and while the Pharisee is comparing himself with everyone else and, and thinking better of himself, the, the, the tax collector, he's humbling himself before God. He's recognizing his sin. And he just falls on his face before God. Can you guess which one God resisted and which one God was gracious to? Peter writes in our text, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Which one did God resist, church? Right? The Pharisee. God gave grace to that tax collector. Humbling ourselves before God in the sight of God requires this true attitude of meekness before God. Are we prepared to do that? Are we? Are we prepared to confess and repent of our sin, whatever that, wherever, whatever area of, of sin that pride is in our, in our life? It's so multifaceted. Pride, is, it, it, we talked about the roots of bitterness last week. Pride is one of those sins that it spreads out in our life and it just goes in a million different directions. Are we prepared to just humble ourselves before God and say, God, I, I know that I have sinned by being proud? And confessing that to him and repenting before him. We need to do something about our pride before God does. Amen. Because when we do something about our pride, i.e. humble ourselves before him, God moves with grace. <laughs> what do you want in your life? Do you want the chastising hand of God because of pride, or do you want the gracious hand of God as he finds humility before him? We need to do something about our pride before God does. The fourth step is then to resist the temptation. I don't know that there is a sin easier to slip back into than this one. It's so deceptive. It's so subtle in our lives that we just so easily slip right back into it. Doesn't help that the world, our own flesh, and, and, and that adversary, the devil, continually are going about doing all they can to, to pull you back to pull me back into pride. They do all they can. Our, our flesh gives the devil a lot to work with. 
and why we're never going to fully escape the sin of pride, we can significantly reduce these temptations. And this is what Peter says here in verse 8. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. What does he say? Resist him. Resist him. Resist him. That's what we're to do. We are to resist pride the temptation of the flesh, the temptation of the world around us, the temptation of Satan. We are to resist that temptation. And as we resist in God's help, what does it say in verse 10? And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. When we resist the temptation of pride, God establishes us, he restores us, he strengthens us. And so, we're to resist him. I think we do that by concentrating on our relationship with him. Church, every day, let us concentrate on our walk with God. Let us concentrate on walking with him, counting on his promises that he gives grace to the humble. Counting on his promises that if we humble ourselves, he will exalt us at the proper time. Trusting his promises, concentrating on our relationship with him, we cultivate this posture of humility. How do we do that? We simply come before him every day and we bow before his word. We surrender ourselves to be obedient to his word. We surrender ourselves to obey him, to follow him. We surrender everything there is in our life, all of our decisions, every single thing about us, we surrender to him bowing at his feet in a posture of humility. In doing so, I believe we're resisting the temptation. We're resisting the devil, resisting the pull of the world. We're resisting the pull of our flesh when we humble ourselves before God, surrendering ourselves and walking humbly with him. And so what are our next steps tonight? I'll give you these and we're done. Just two simple next steps. Which one do you need to make tonight? Number one, I will ask God to help me recognize the baggage of pride I'm carrying so that I can set it down through honest prayer and humble repentance. I will ask God to help me recognize the baggage of pride I'm carrying because sometimes it's just so subtle. If you want some help, ask your wife. Ask the people close to you. Where do you see pride in my life? Just be prepared to be humble and hear it out, right? But asking. Ask God to help you recognize. And then, number two, allow the Scripture to realign our view of God, of others, and ourself. These are just simple next steps. This is just a step that you can take right here tonight. Which one do you need to take tonight? Let's not just hear a message on pride and go out and be unchanged and just go on with our life, but let's ask God to help us recognize where is it in my life so that I can set it down 
And then allow the scripture to realign our view of God, of others, and ourselves. Amen?